Joseph Gordon-Levitt plays in a movie called 500 Days of Summer, along with Zoe Deschanel. Levitz plays a character by the name of Tom, and Zoe Deschanel plays a character by the name of Summer. And 500 Days of Summer is the 500 days of Tom and Summer's relationships. The ups and the downs, the positives and the negatives. Towards the end of the movie, there's a scene where Tom and Summer aren't really seeing each other, but there's a small glimmer of hope that they might get back together. The narrator makes this comment as Tom goes to a party hosted by Summer that maybe Tom's expectations would meet reality. What begins to happen is the video screen goes into two side-by-side screens. One says expectations and the other says reality. And as Tom walks into the party with expectations, he meets Summer and he enjoys and he's laughing and all of his jokes are hitting. But then if when you go to the reality side, it's completely awkward. And as Tom and Summer are talking with each other, they're trying to have a conversation. On the expectation side, uh, Tom is reconnecting with Summer. On the reality side, Tom finds himself alone at the end of the party. The scene ends with Tom realizing that Summer is engaged. How many of you have lived in that season? You live in a season where your expectations don't meet reality. You know, for many of us with the coronavirus, we expected little things like graduating. We expected to go to our jobs. We expected to see family or to go on trips, but that wasn't the reality. The psalm that we're discussing today and we're looking at, Psalm 143, is a great psalm to help us when our expectations of life don't meet reality. How do you respond? What is God calling us to do? Take your Bibles, whether it's your app or your Bible, and turn with me to Psalm 143. Just to give you a little bit of background as we read this psalm, Psalm 143 is a part of a series of seven psalms of David, and it's four lament psalms. So it goes from Psalm 138 to 145. And in Psalm 143, it's, it's a basic lament. And when I say lament, lament means this, a basic cry for help, a cry to God for mercy. If you were to break up this psalm into two sections, verses one to six is the lament. It's God, I'm crying for help. And verses seven to 12 is a prayer for guidance. Another simple way of looking at the structure of the psalm is this, God, I'm in a hole. God, help me get out of the hole. Let's read this psalm together. Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for mercy. In your faithfulness and righteousness, come to my relief. Do not bring your servant into judgment, for no one living is righteous before you. The enemies pursues me. He crushes me to the ground. He makes me dwell in the darkness like those long dead. So my spirit grows faint within me. My heart within me is dismayed. I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. I spread out my hands to you. I thirst for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, Lord. My spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, or I will be like those who go down to the pit. Let the morning bring word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I entrust my life. Rescue me from my enemies, Lord, for I hide myself in you. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your spirit lead me on level ground. Verse 11, for your name's sake, Lord, 
Preserve my life in your righteousness. Bring me out of trouble. In your unfailing love, silence my enemies. Destroy all my foes, for I am your servant. The church father Athanasius says this, most of scripture speaks to us, but the Psalms speak for us. Usually when I'm preparing to speak a sermon, I read the passage and I immediately jump to a commentary or, or Bible background. But something that just, the Psalms are so different because they speak for us. I began to actually pray the Psalm and I took a pad of paper and I just wrote verse one, verse two, and all the way down to verse 12. And as I read the Psalm, I just responded to the Psalm. And as I was looking at it, there was just thoughts of, you know, Lord, hear my cry. God, I'm desperate for you in verse one. You know, my spirit grows faint within me, verse four. I'm thirsty, verse five. Verse eight, God guide me. What I began to realize and engage, and maybe as you heard this psalm, is this is a very realistic psalm. If I was to look into your prayer journals, this is a psalm that you might find. This is a psalm that you might write. It's not super difficult to understand. But one of the things that I really appreciate about the psalmist is the psalmist is extremely self-aware. They're being pursued by enemies. There's darkness in their life. Their expectations aren't necessarily meeting reality. But verse one and two frame this whole psalm. And look at what verse one and two said. Verse one says, listen to my cry for mercy. When we talk about a cry for mercy, it's connected to this idea of lament that, that God, I'm crying out for help. I need you. But also the idea of mercy is not drawing upon the psalmist performance. The psalmist is not saying that they're good and appealing to their own works. What they're doing is this. They're saying, God, I know that you're kind and you're faithful. I know that you're loving and you're caring and you're merciful. You're a God that gives people what they don't deserve in the best sort of way. The psalmist is appealing to God's character. And then later on, the psalmist in verse two said, for no one living is righteous. The psalmist has a humble view of themselves, but ultimately is basing their prayer on the character of God. I think this is so vitally important as we go through this season. You know, we, we have this habit that in life when our expectations don't match reality and we go to God, we can elicit two responses. The first response is this, is that we go to God with our resume and we say, God, you know, I haven't sworn for the last week. I haven't drank any alcohol. I haven't smoked. I haven't yelled at my kids in the last 10 minutes. I haven't, you know, I haven't sent a bad email. I haven't sinned or Lord, I've tithed that I've read my Bible. But what the psalmist does here is the psalmist appeals to God's character and not their performance. The psalmist realizes and is self-aware to know that, that they can't see everything that God's doing, that they might have some blind spots and biases and that in prayer, it's saying, God, I'm desperate for you, but help me to see what I don't see. The second, the second response is we realize our guilt. We realize our regret. We realize that we're sinful and we're afraid to go to God and we're afraid to talk to God. But the psalmist bases the prayer on the character of God. It's the character of mercy and loving kindness that the psalmist can realize their brokenness and their sinfulness, but also can move forward and say, God, you are loving and caring and I will come to you with my needs. You know, in some ways, if we were to sum up the whole Bible in one phrase, it's this, it's 
we as humans that we're more broken than we could ever think, more sinful than we could ever think, but we're more loved by God than we could ever imagine. You know, as I think about Psalm 143 and the season that we're, we find ourselves in, whether it's the shutdown or the coronavirus, whether it's, you know, the, the heightened talk about racism in America, one of the dangers that I fear as a pastor is this, is that we begin to blame everything on what's outside of us without reflecting and looking on the inside of us. What do I mean by that? Some of you might shop at J. Crew, the retail store. It does great clothing. And during the coronavirus, it went bankrupt. Now, what some people can make a simple assumption is, oh, well, J. Crew, it was the coronavirus. They're not doing well, and their business went bankrupt. But if you read a little bit more, it wasn't that the coronavirus bankrupt J. Crew. On the contrary, J. Crew had some pre existing problems. They had some pre-existing issues. They, they tried to sell very, very fine clothing, realizing that the market wasn't going to take that. So they tried to sell cheaper clothing that more people could buy. And they also didn't really have a great strategy for this little thing called the internet. So as they tried to put clothes online and they meet up with the coronavirus, all of a sudden the volume of the problems gets turned up. And my concern for us is right now, you know, we're at varying degrees of crisis. And so it's easy for us to sometimes look what's outside of us. Well, the coronavirus has done this. Well, the protests have done this. Well, we have all of these problems. But what Psalm 143 does is it stops us and it asks us to look internal. You know, I, I think about the people that I talk with. You know, there's, there's marriages that are in trouble. You know, there's parents that are having difficult relationships with their kids. Some of you are facing worry and anxiety. Others of you are, are worried about the economy and looking for a job. And all of these things are, are extremely real. But the problem would be is to just think that they happened because the coronavirus happened. You know, and I think for all of us, as we back up to the Psalm 143 and as we find ourselves in places that we might not expect, it would be a huge disservice to not look at the root problems and not see that part of it is there's a lot of things outside of us that are happening that are out of our control, but there might be some things that God wants to do in our hearts and our lives that this reality has given us an opportunity for us to grow, for us to sense God's presence in a more tangible and real way. So if you find yourself in a crisis, if you find yourself in chaos, I think Psalm 143 wants to speak to you. So what do you do? What would this Psalm recommend that we do when our expectations don't match reality? When we find ourselves in a hole and we're saying, God, get us out. There's two things I wanna point out in this Psalm. The first one is this stretch out your hands. Let's go back. Look at verses, look at verses uh, five and six. And it says this, I remember the days long ago. I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. I spread out or I stretch out my hands to you. I thirst for you like a parched land. When the psalmist says, I spread out my hands, I stretch out my hands. We think about stretching out our hands and lifting it up as victory and as a joyous occasion. 
But when the psalmist looks at this, it envisions a person that's on their knees with their hands raised high. The psalmist is basically saying, God, I'm desperate for you. I need you. Be with me. As I think about that picture that the psalmist is painting, I think back to what verse 5 says. I remember the days long ago, and I remember how God's hands had worked in the past. As the psalmist is connecting, I'm stretching out my hands because I'm remembering your faithfulness in the past, God. I remember how you've brought me through, and I know that this too will pass. Right now I'm in a hole, but help me get out. I like to take my daughter um, along with my wife on walks around the church parking lot. It's been a very easily socially distant place to go during this time. And usually on a good day, we have about 10 to 15 minutes that my daughter can walk around before she gets really tired. On an average day, it's about five minutes. But what happens in that moment is this, is that when my daughter gets really, really tired, she raises up her hands to me and she says, Daddy, pick me up. Mommy, pick me up. That's the picture of this psalm. The picture of this psalm is, is us as children just like Haley, raising our hands to God, saying, God, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I'm weary. You know, and I think that to really understand this passage, you know, to lift our hands is a posture of the heart. Is that when we come to a place that we're saying, God, I'm in a situation that I don't know what to do and I'm really anxious and I'm really worried, God, lead me out. There's something that happens in our hearts and our lives when we pause and we raise our hands to God because it's connected that the God of the past, that the faithfulness of God, that God who has walked us through is going to be with us in this crisis and in this difficult season. You know, it's also why we might raise our hands on Sunday morning. You know, I think about this when we sing songs together. There's some people at church on Sunday morning that they lift their hands up to God. And that, that act, that practice is, is from this passage. That practice of actually literally taking your hands and lifting them to God. It's saying this, God, you are sovereign. God, you are merciful. God, I worship you, but God, I need you. And I think that that's important because of this, is that sometimes our bodies, a physical act of raising our hands, helps us connect our mind with our heart. And so sometimes it's saying, God, I don't feel this. God, I don't think this. God, I don't sense you. But you know what? I'm going to lift my hands in an act to connect with you. See, when we stretch out our hands, whether we're doing it as a posture of our heart, whether we're doing it as a physical act, we're recognizing, God, I need you. God, I hope that you're with me. And what the psalmist is doing here is the psalmist is saying, by taking this step, we can sense God in an even greater way in crisis than we might not have when things are going well. So what do you do when your expectations don't meet reality? Number one, you stretch out your hands. And number two, you go in God's guidance. Look at with me to verse eight. It says this in one, Psalm 143. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I've put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I entrust my life. Rescue me from my enemies, Lord. For I hide myself in you. Teach me to do your will. For you are my God. May your good spirit lead me onto level ground. 
you know, the the best part about Psalm 143 is how accessible it is. You can be following Jesus for 50, 60, 70, 80 years, or you might be new to faith. You can really relate to this prayer. And I just want to set the scene because there's there's some great word pictures here that, again, in this, in this structure of verses one to six, it's saying this, my expectations don't meet reality. God, I'm lamenting, I'm crying for help. And then in this last section, seven through 12, that God, get me out of this hole. God, how should I respond? Where should I go? And there's some great ideas from this passage. Look at this. It says, let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love. You know, we're shooting on location with Lake Ontario in the background, and it's it's morning time. Why is morning so important? Well, in ancient times, darkness represented when crime and when problems would happen. It was a scary time, but when dawn and morning come, it offered hope, and it helped people realize that God was with them. So the psalmist is saying, get me to morning, get me to light, help me see that love, rescue me from my enemies. You know, David, the writer of this psalm, knew what it was to be pursued by Saul, the king that he would eventually take his place. He also knew what it was like with his son Absalom. David faced many enemies. And for us, there's a sense that we're facing some darkness and enemies. And then it says, teach me to do your will. And later on, it says, lead me to level ground. Level ground means this is the psalmist is saying, God, lead me to a place where I'm not gonna stumble and I'm not gonna fall. So when we say, go in God's guidance, you know, the question that I get a lot as a pastor is this, what's God's will for my life? Where should I go? What should I do? And I think sometimes it's super specific. Should I take this job and leave here? Should I move here? Should I marry this person? So I wanna help you today from this passage. I think there's three steps that we can take to discover God's will and to go into his guidance. Number one is this, engage God's word. Look at verse eight. It says, bring me word of your unfailing love. You know, throughout the passage, it talks about, I meditate on your works. You know, in this season of crisis, in this season when your expectations didn't meet reality, you know, how are you engaging God's word? Are you opening your Bible? You know, or if you are opening your Bible, are you really taking time to meditate and to pause? You know, it might be later today, you take Psalm 143 and you just read this passage as a prayer of your heart. You know, I I read the Bible in the morning. I don't think this passage is saying that you need to read the Bible in the morning. I think what's even more important is that the Bible is becoming a mirror and it's shaping your heart and your life. So number one, engage scripture. Number two, weigh your motives in prayer. Look with me at this. As you look at verse eight, it says, show me the way I should go for to you, I entrust my life. And verse 10 says this, teach me to do your will for you are my God. Going back to verses one and two, you know, the psalmist realizes that they're blind to their own blind spots, that they don't always see things perfectly that no one is righteous. So as the psalmist comes here, the the psalmist is going to God in prayer and asking God, show me the way to go. God, I entrust you to my life. God, I know that I'm, I'm sinful and I'm broken and I'm imperfect. Help me to see what I need to see. Help me to know where to go. Think about this. How much of our world would be different, you know, if we pr- approached ourselves with humility? realizing our unbrokenness and sinfulness. 
how much of the world would be different if we approached God and seen his goodness and his mercy and his justice. So as you engage scripture, it becomes into your heart. It leads you to weigh your motives in prayer. But lastly, it's do the next right thing. Look at this, uh, verse 10, it says this, may your good spirit lead me on level ground. You know, I, I think that sometimes when it comes to God's will, we're looking for God to write something in the sky and tell us exactly what to do. Move here, do this, go there. But for a majority of us, it's far more subtle. And so the psalmist is saying, God, I trust you with my next step. That God is big enough to open the doors that need to be open. He's big enough to close the doors that need to be closed. So my question to you is, what opportunities is God putting in front of you? You know, I, I think about this, you know, we're as a church and as followers of Jesus, we're trying to respond to racism and we're trying to respond to how can we reconcile? How can we have more compassion? You know, what about picking up that book or listening to that podcast? What about serving? You know, you know, we, you know, part of this issue is to be able to get out of your neighborhood and your comfort zone. You know, I think about this Barbara Thomas who serves an open door mission. You know, what if it was a, a, a committed decision that you're going to say this, I'm going to make time to serve that's somewhere outside of the place that I live, to get to know other people, to see people created in God's image. And that as a church, we have hundreds of those opportunities. You know, recently I heard of a few women at the church that they're hosting a discussion about racism and they're they're taking the steps right in front of them. That maybe it's not calling us to create another opportunity, but maybe it's calling us to take that other step. There's others of you that are dealing with anxiety and loneliness. You know, I, I just think about this, is that every Tuesday night there's Celebrate Recovery at 7 p.m. You know, there's this support group that that wants to be there for you that you can watch that you can watch online and you know eventually when we reopen it might be a place to go and you might be saying ah i'm not sure i want to go there but what if that's the opportunity that god is pushing you forward and for those of you that are going through a marriage crisis or parenting and even with your anxiety and loneliness what about just scheduling a time with a counselor you know, there's a variety of things to do and it's very individual to who you are and where you are right now. But sometimes we miss the obvious opportunity that God has placed in front of us. So when the psalmist says, lead me to level ground, that doesn't mean it's comfortable or it's easy, but at the end of it, it's God's loving kindness that's saying this, you asked me to get you out of the hole. Here's how I'm going to help you. Think about it this way. I grew up and in summers, I'd go home from college to see uh, my pastor uh, at the church in Binghamton. His name was Pastor Ron Piedmont. One of the summers between coming home from college, um, I was just talking to him about my future. Should I apply to be a youth pastor or a children's pastor that eventually would become a discipleship pastor? You know, should I take another route? And I was going through all the different scenarios. And Pastor Piedmont said this to me. He said, if you're trying to find God's will, you won't miss it. And I think his assumption was this, is that when you're engaging scripture and it's changing your heart, when you're weighing your motives, when you're weighing your motives in prayer, and then when you do the next right thing, that God is good enough and loving enough to set you in the right direction if you're willing to take 
small steps of faith. You know, it's like my daughter. I'm no Jesus and I'm no God, but when she raises her hands to me, even as an imperfect father, I want to respond to her in love and grace. As we close this time together, you know, we're going to close with communion. I want you just to look at the last verse, uh, 11 and 12. It says, for your namesake, Lord, preserve my life in your righteousness. Bring me out of trouble in your unfailing love. Silence my enemies. Destroy all my foes, for I'm your servant. Psalm 143 starts with the, the cry for mercy to God, the realizing the brokenness and sinfulness of humanity. And it lands with this verse. And it's so appropriate today that we close with communion because it's a reminder that, that Jesus in the gospel, the good news of Jesus's death on the cross and his resurrection, that it offers us forgiveness of sin and new life. That we know a savior that's been in the hole with us and that can get us out. That he's walked where we walked in a way that we can stretch out our hands, in a way that we can go in God's guidance as this is to realize how much God wants to change our hearts and our lives. And it begins with this, is that Jesus has gone infinitely further, giving up the riches of heaven to walk among us, to suffer and die, and to resurrect from the dead, to give us new life. Get ready for communion. Make sure you have your elements together. But I want to just give you a moment to look at these verses and prepare your hearts as we begin to take communion together.